On today's show, we have Manny's Lack of Hustle, Otani for the Voice, Strikeout Milestones, a new pizza topping, and reseeding the playoffs. Ladies and gentlemen, introducing the Ball and Mitt Podcast, a willy-nilly talk show about baseball life and the occasional knee slapper. So grab your Cracker Jacks, sit back, and relax. It's gonna be a doozy. Here's your host, the Beast himself, Brian Brammer. Hey, baseball fans. I am your host, Brian Brammer, and this is the Ball Mitt Podcast, episode 12. And man, do we have a packed show today. So I'm not going to ramble on too long. Uh, notice that I, what I didn't say, I didn't say I wouldn't ramble at all. I just said not too long. Say what you mean, mean what you say. That's my life motto. Um, it's really not. I just, I just wanted to put the clip in of that song. Okay. So before we get into some hardball headlines, I want to share something with you. Of course, this is a podcast about baseball, but let's be honest. There are a lot of important things in life, and I feel that baseball, or or sports in general, can teach a myriad of lessons and aid to personal maturity. Can I get an amen from Oprah? So, my parents have always decided to call me Bubba. Not just around the house, but, you know, in public places. You know, the the non-embarrassing ones. Theme parks, grocery stores, on the ball field, in front of girlfriends. You know, something to be proud of. Now, typically. The name is associated with with a kind of way of saying, oh, look, isn't he just a little chunky? Yeah, but he's so cute, though. Look at them cheeks. And he's so non-threatening. He's he's such a bubba. Anyway, it can be also used as a nickname for someone from the South and describe someone that's, you know, kind of simple. Think of someone like Jeff Dunham's puppet, Bubba Jay. But then you also have Bubba Jackson and Bubba Watson. So I think I'm in good company. All right, so I digress. My pops, he he sent me this story that I thought was kind of enjoyable. And I thought maybe you guys would like it. So here we go. Story time. His name was Bubba. He was from Mississippi. He needed a loan. So he walked into a bank in New York City and asked for the loan officer. He told the loan officer that he was going to Paris for an international redneck festival for two weeks and needed to borrow $5,000, and that he was not a depositor of the bank. The bank officer told him that the bank would need some form of security for the loan, so the redneck handed over the keys to a new Ferrari. The car was parked on the street in front of the bank. The redneck produced the title and everything checked out. The loan officer agreed to hold the car as collateral for the loan and apologized for having to charge 12% interest. Later, the bank's president and its officers all enjoyed a good laugh at the redneck from the South for using a $250,000 Ferrari as collateral for a $5,000 loan. An employee of the bank then drove the Ferrari into the bank's private underground garage and parked it. Two weeks later, the redneck returned, repaid the $5,000 and the interest of $23.07. The loan officer said, Sir, we are very happy to have had your business and this transaction has worked out very nicely, but we are a little puzzled. While you were away, we checked you out on Dunn & Bradstreet and found that you are a distinguished alumni from Ole Miss University, a highly sophisticated investor and multimillionaire with real estate and financial interests all over the world. 
Your investments include a large number of wind turbines around Sweetwater, Texas. What puzzles us is, why would you bother to borrow $5,000? The good old boy replied, where else in New York City can I park my car for two weeks for only $23.07 and expect it to be there when I return? All right, boys and girls, pick up your carpet squares and let's talk about some hardball headlines. According to AP News, Mariners teammates stood and applauded and God Bless America played on the speakers when Felix Hernandez entered Seattle's clubhouse after becoming a U.S. citizen. Uh, a native of Venezuela, this 32-year-old pitcher, as we know, is a, is a great pitcher, uh, passed his citizenship interview uh, very recently and was among 74 people from 36 countries who became naturalized U.S. citizens during a ceremony in downtown Seattle. Uh, this is what Hernandez has to say. This country has given me everything. It's a dream come true. It means a lot. We've been here a long time. I wanted to do it. Strife in Venezuela is among the reasons Hernandez desired his U.S. uh, citizenship. And he wants to bring his parents to the U.S. more easily. It gives him better access to do that. He goes on to say, The situation in Venezuela is really bad now. It's tough. There are people who can't get any food. It's crazy. Uh, And the funny thing is his wife, Sandra, Uh, became a U.S. citizen about a month ago, uh, but Hernandez didn't pass his initial test, and his wife gives him a hard time about it. This is cool. Um, I'm all for people from other countries wanting to come over here and be a U.S. citizen. As long as you do it right, you do it the legal way, uh, you work hard, you can have a job, and you can be a U.S. citizen. Welcome. We welcome you. Those out there that say no, no outside people can come and live in the United States, I'd like for you to buy yourself a muzzle and just stop talking. According to CBS Sports, police have detained, this this story is very interesting, police have detained and charged a former Comerica Park employee who was seen spitting on a pizza while working at a stadium food stand on Friday. I think this was last Friday when I aired last week's episode. The man was fired Sunday, according to WWJ uh, News Radio, but his damage was done over the weekend. He can clearly be seen spitting onto pizza dough before covering his saliva with sauce thanks to a viral Instagram video posted by one of his co-workers. Now, the co-worker, he wrote in his Instagram post that he was was told to leave, actually, his own shift at Comerica Park during Friday's Tigers game because, this is his quote, because I didn't have my Comerica Park shirt on and because I was at the bathroom too long. So that's why he decided to post a video because, again, quote, I couldn't wait until after the game to tell them an employee was spitting in customer's pizza. Every time I tried to talk about it, they told me to shut up. So you've got this employee. Uh, he, he took a picture of another, uh, one of his coworkers spitting on the pizza and wanted to tell you know, those his superiors what happened. And the superiors uh, apparently dismissed him and didn't allow him to show them the evidence for whatever reason, PR, I'm not sure. That's not even really the issue. I did find out that I'm not sure if this story updated, but I heard the coworker that took the picture also got fired. Now, maybe because you, you posted on Instagram, you're going to get fired. Unfortunately, you were doing the right thing, but you kind of did it the wrong way. But, but it, you know, it goes on. The story continues, okay? It gets better. One woman has come forward with the threat of pressing charges that, um, the individual who recorded or took a picture of this incident thing happened. Well, I guess Instagram has has uh, videos too. So I think it was a video. 
that this person was this lady's neighbor and she thinks he was trying to warn her not to eat the pizza. It's so sickening to think about it, she says. Uh, This 43-year-old, I'm leaving names out on purpose. She said she ordered the meat trio pizza and said they were cooking it up fresh. I've literally been sick the whole time. Okay, that's the nastiest thing you can do is to spit on someone else's food. I do agree. That's gross. Um, I don't understand what she means by sick the whole time. Was it sick since you ate the pizza or just sick since you found out this is what happened and you're an opportunist? I don't know. Not going to make judgments. Just throwing it out there. Um, Okay, so The Athletic wrote an article recently about how good the Red Sox are and how bad the Orioles are. So here it is. Brian Zink has been extra busy lately uh, thanks to the Red Sox and Orioles. The Somerville artist is the man responsible for painting the number plates that hang in the manual scoreboard uh, in the American League East standings at Fenway Park. It's a job he's held since 2003 when the Red Sox redesigned Fenway and they they put some stands over the Green Monster and and expanded the scoreboard. But this season has presented some unexpected logistical challenges. With the Red Sox and Orioles each well over 100, obviously we know which 100 uh, the Red Sox have and which one the Orioles have, um, officials at Fenway realized at midseason that they suddenly had a scoreboard emergency on their hands. They did not have enough plates to count quite that high. So the call went out to Zinc and they needed some new triple digit plates as soon as possible. Uh, First world problems. Uh, You know, this tells me maybe that Boston's fan base doesn't have a lot of, um, not fan base, but staff or crew people having a hard time coming up with vocabulary words uh, tonight, but they didn't expect 100 wins. There you go. And I don't think anybody expected the Orioles to get 100 losses, but now now you do. All right, uh, next piece here. Uh, as, a, as a part of rookie hazing, okay, this goes on. Um, Otani performed a little bit of karaoke, and here's a clip. Aside from the dude filming, thinking this was some kind of rap concert, you can hear Otani's talent. Not bad at all. But also, speaking of singing in baseball players, did you know that Bronson Arroyo produced an album around 2011 of him doing eight cover songs from alternative rock bands? Like the Goo Goo Dolls. Um, who sang Pardon Me? The Incubus, I think. I mean, he's actually, I listened to him, he's actually really talented. So go go take a look. Uh, I found it on, on YouTube. All right, moving on. Yahoo Sports reports that for the first time in MLB history, one team has four starting pitchers who each have 200 or more strikeouts in a single season. Corey Kluber, Trevor Bauer, Carlos Carrasco, and Mike Clevenger have helped the Indians to an 85-68 and record this season and have clinched the AL Central for the third straight year. The four starters, they've, they've each had 200 strikeouts, and Carrasco has the most at 217. Now, Max Scherzer also hit his own milestone this past Tuesday. ESPN reports that the Washington Nationals ace recorded his 300th strikeout of the season this past Tuesday. The landmark whiff came in the top of the seventh inning when Max Scherzer got Miami Marlins rookie Austin Dean swinging on a 3-2 slider. 
Uh, there's actually a video floating around the internet that shows all 300 strikeouts back to back. It's quite impressive to see how consistent his release points are and how consistent his mechanics are for every single strikeout and pitch. My arm, honestly, when I watched this, my arm got tired just watching. And finally, oh, Manny Machado. You get paid, and then you stop hustling. It happens every single time. Uh, no, it, no, it, it really doesn't happen every single time. But let me tell you what's going on. I, I, I don't know. Let me just start over. I'm not sure what's going on, if, if it's that big of a deal, or if it's just something that's become a part of the game. Uh, BaseballEssential.com wrote an article entitled, Is Manny Machado's Lack of Hustle an Issue? Uh, it's actually a good article. I don't have time to read the entire thing, but it stemmed from a recent incident in which Manny hit a ball to deep center and just watched it and then strolled to first base. The ball merely bounced off the wall. I mean, he crushed it. And then he did his best Yasiel Puig impression and put on the Jets. I use the word loosely as far as put on the Jets because Manny has slowed down a bit uh, after being more of wanting to hit balls a lot further. Now, I could do an entire episode on this, on hustle and effort and uh, reserving yourself for big profile games and all that kind of stuff. Every, every sport does it. But I'm just going to give you just a brief thought. Short answer, is this an issue with Manny Machado? Short answer is no, it's not a problem. It's not a problem in the sense that it will somehow ruin the game or start a new trend in the sport. Quite honestly, it's not a trend, it's more of a mainstay. This actual question is in relation to Manny with this article, it's, is it an issue with Manny Machado? Now, even in Baltimore, as I watched him every day, he rarely ran out a ground ball. If small ball was actually still a thing, then this may be an issue every once in a while. Here is Snyder, who wrote the article on Baseball Central. Here is his summation of that play and why this really isn't that big of a deal right now. Two things. He says, Machado hit the ball off the wall and drove in a very important insurance run. A shortstop with that kind of power um, is very rare. Then he says this, Machado ended up at second base, which is where he would have ended up no matter how hard he had run. With no outs, the base runners had to wait to see if Chris Owens, the outfielder, was going to catch the ball. So while Justin Turner scored easily from second base, Utley had to stop at third. So these types of things, this type of hustling, it's very minuscule how, how much it affects the game. So I don't think this is an issue. Is it the start of something that could be an issue? Let's let's have that conversation in a couple years. But But right now, no. So you take the good with the bad, especially when the good far outweighs the bad. But of course, that's because the Dodgers are winning. So if they weren't doing so well, I really think this is a different conversation. All right. So let's go ahead and, and those are your hardball headlines, which reveal last week's answer to our knuckleball trivia and introduce this week's question. Now, the previous question was this. Really simple. kind of Kind of silly, but really simple. What are MLB umpires required by rule to wear during a game? And the answer is black underwear. I'm assuming that if a tear of the pants occurs, it may slip under the radar. Black underwear. Who knew? Now, the knuckle trivia question for this episode is the following. In 2002, 
Seattle Mariners teammates Mike Cameron and Brett Boone achieved something that had never been done in baseball. What was it? What is this feat that they achieved together? This may be tough. It may not. You have a week to figure it out. Good luck. All right. So the MLB playoffs are quickly approaching. I think the regular season ends on Sunday and we'll, we'll know who's going where and what team's doing what and everything else. So with that being said, there actually is a potentially interesting matchup that could occur that would be unfair to a team that actually deserves the best possible scenario in baseball this year. Christopher Dale has written a piece for the Hardball Times talking about such a thing. His piece is titled, To Reseed or Not to Reseed, Improving the MLB Playoffs. Now, what I would like to do is comb through this article and talk a little bit about some very interesting points that Dale makes. I'm going to try my best to paint the landscape of what the issue or the non-issue is with the MLB playoffs. Depends on where you're coming from. Is there an issue? Is there not an issue? Now, what I mean by MLB playoffs and if the issue is, I mean the league and the fans, they, they obviously feel that something needs to change or, or some things need to be fixed because we added a second wildcard team to each league about five or six years ago in order to make more of the season. So we admitted there was an issue and, and we solved it. We need to bring more relevancy to the entire season and not just three-fourths of it. So what I'm going to do is there's this article. I've read it. There's a lot to unpack, too much to unpack in, in one episode. So please do not take my word for everything that I'm saying. I am trying to understand it and convey it the best way that I can. And, and I, I never want to take anything out of context that somebody else says. Uh, and so, so with that being said, I recommend that if you're listening to this, that you also read Dale's very informative and sensible piece. It's, it's not something that's outlandish. There's no attitude behind it. It's actually very sensible, and, and I appreciate journalism like that. So with that said, here's our current scenario. The Red Sox are currently at 107 and 52 and the outright number one seed in the AL. They have clinched the AL East division easily. Now, the pennant winner of the AL Central is the Cleveland Indians. Their record is 89 and 69. It is very possible that the Red Sox will finish the 2018 campaign with 20 more wins than the Indians. Now, it is what it is, and divisions are not equal in regard to competition and parity, if, if I'm using that word right. But the Red Sox have such a better record against a tougher division, minus the Orioles, while the Indians have a much less impressive record against a division that, other than itself, uh, other than the Cleveland Indians, doesn't have a single team over 500. Now get this. If the season ended with the current seeding, and the Yankees beat Oakland in the wildcard game. The worst team, in the context of games won and lost, in the AL that made the playoffs, Cleveland, would play Houston, and the best team, by a large margin, Boston, would play the potentially second-best team in the New York Yankees. In the first round of the playoffs, because the wildcard, in my mind, is still a play-in game. It's not part of the playoffs, but that's just me. So in the first round of the playoffs, we would see the two best teams against each other. 
what should be reserved for a championship series is going to happen in the first round. Now, of course, the National League is, is actually a lot closer. So I'm using the American League as a, as a sample, uh, as a, uh, a case study. There we go, a case study. All the division winners in the National League and the two wildcard uh, teams, they're hovering in either the, the high 80s or the low 90s in wins. And please hear me out when I say, we cannot suggest any changes based on isolated cases or small samples. We just, we just can't. We've seen what that does in sports. The new rule about roughing the passer in the NFL, uh, with it was a, a bad accident. I don't even think it was a dirty hit on Aaron Rodgers. And then the catcher blocking the home plate issue. Uh, I think it was Buster Posey that was, was severely injured. In my opinion, rules based on isolated plays that occurred to two teams' high-profile players in order to protect an investment. That's, that's what these rules were implemented for. Not a player, not a person, but an investment an asset, a product. All right, let me, let me, I got going there. Let me steer the car back on the road here. But I do think it's important to talk about the possible outcomes of who plays who based on how the MLB playoffs are structured at the moment. So right out of the gate, I want to say that I am not hard and fast on any suggested changes. It's something that needs to marinate for a bit. But it is a good thing to continue the conversation. I am in agreement, however, with Dale when he says, this team's, talking about Cleveland, it, this team's predetermined postseason positioning, uh, the positioning is the fact that they wrapped up the division so quickly and not necessarily due to being the best team. That position is unfair to another team, the Boston Red Sox. And it most certainly is. The question is, does it matter or is it just the way it is? That's just the way it is. I want to read to you a section of this article from Dale in which he talks about overcomplicating the MLB playoffs. Here we go. The question of whether to reseed has surfaced before, notably in 2015, when the two National League wildcard teams, the Pittsburgh Pirates with 98 wins and the Chicago Cubs with 97 wins, also had the second and third best records in the league. The St. Louis Cardinals, the NL Central winner, had 100 wins. Some writers pointed out that the resulting NL postseason field was patently unfair. Patently unfair. No, I think Pat Lee was right. And, and, they, and they were right. However, seeming, seemingly no one posited a simple solution to a simple problem. So they complained about it being unfair, but they never gave a solution. Instead, pieces like, um, and he alludes to something written, accurately diagnosed the patient, but proceeded to prescribe over-elaborate suggestions for a postseason remedy. So what he's saying is we are overcomplicating a very simple issue. That's, that is the premise for this entire article, that we are overcomplicating a minor change that needs to happen in the MLB, and especially in the playoffs. Now, we aren't going to discuss the nonsense suggestions that present more problems than it does solutions. Dale talks about two reasonable and viable solutions, but he still doesn't think they offer a solution to the level of fairness in the MLB playoffs. Now, I can just hear the naysayers who don't even want to listen to anything new, and I'm guilty of this just as much as the next person. I can hear them combat the term fairness with comments, comments like, everything can't be fair, or it used to be fair before the league started adding teams and making money a priority. First, money has always been the priority. Second, there is an understanding that things can't always be fair. I get it. But shouldn't we do whatever is in our power 
and our influence to get as close as possible without making further issues or shifting the balance. I mean, my goodness, like, like Star Wars taught us this a long time ago. It's about balance. Change is tough. Suck it up. So if you haven't noticed yet, Dale does think something has to change with the MLB playoffs. And I mentioned that. But it's not adopting these next two mainstream ideas. And I'm sure you've heard of these two mainstream ideas. And here they are. Number one is expanding the number of playoff teams per league from five to six. Now, Dale says that this discussion has folded in, um, has folded into it the possible expansion of the league in general to 32 teams and then realigning the leagues to have four divisions of four teams each. I do agree that this can't happen until there are 32 teams. He's saying that this shouldn't happen at all. But he also says that a 16 playoff can't happen without making a division winner play in a do-or-die game or a three-game round before the ALDS. He talks about this second point uh, later in the article. Now, I... Not sure I'm following him here with the do or die game. First round, this is this is kind of a suggestion by by myself. First round is a best of five in which seeds three and four play the wild card teams and seeds one and two get buys. The winner of these ALDS games go on to play seeds one and two in another best of five series. And then the winners of those pre-championship games go on to play a best of seven series to see who goes to the World Series. You've only added four possible games. So if you add up all the possible games of the, the current setup now, with one wild card and then five potential games and then two sets of seven, that's 20 potential games. With what I just suggested, you're only raising that to 24 if all series go the distance and they don't always. So I know there's traveling and off days to account for, so it's not perfect. And, and honestly, it looks a little messy what I suggested. But what I'm trying to say is that what he presents isn't the only option. This do or die um, round before the ALDS, I, I didn't understand where he was going for that. If you guys understand when you read the article, let me know. I, I think there's other solutions. So it, this is a little misrepresentation. So he also says that he's had enough with ex, uh, playoff expansion. Then he goes, and this is what's funny. Then he goes on, and I mean no disrespect, but then he goes on to mention only one time in which the playoffs expanded. You know, he says he's had enough of this expansion. So then you would expect someone to give a list of it expanded here, it expanded here, it expanded here, and he didn't. But then the only thing he does mention that expanded was the wild card, and he applauds that. So, so I'm not sure what he's getting at here. But Dale is under the notion that you have to be in the top one-third to qualify for the playoffs. Now, both the NHL and NBA send half the league to the playoffs. I agree with this. It's ridiculous that teams below 500 go into the playoffs. But let's not be too overdramatic. If 12 teams, so, so the expansion is five teams per league in the playoffs is how it is now, and we'd expand it to six. If 12 teams out of 30 is 40%, which is closer to one-third than 50%. So we're not, we're not getting close to the NHL or the NBA. We're actually closer to 33%, which is a third. And then if the, if the league expands to 32, you take 12 teams that have 32, and that's 38%, which is only 5% higher than one-third. So this is not nearly as bad as Dale's making it seem. I'm okay with 12 teams. 
I don't think the playoffs should be expanded until there are 32 teams. And even then, it's not something to be taken lightly. So adding one team six years ago, one wildcard team and adding one game and the rest of the playoffs remain the same, that was a decision that I don't think took a lot of effort because it didn't change a lot. Going to 12 teams changes a lot. Expanding the league to 32 teams, that changes a lot. So I'm not saying that I'm not saying that these are simple changes, but I don't think they're overcomplicated changes. There's not a this or that. There, there's, there's a balance. There's a, a compromise that we can have. And I don't think he's looking at that compromise. Maybe he is later on. Uh, and you can you can be the judge of that. And his second, uh, the second reasonable option that gets brought up a lot is make the wildcard game a best of three series. And he has three problems with this. First problem is he assumes that the three-game wildcard series is associated with moving to a 154-game season. That's not true at all in my experience. I mean, you can shorten it if you want. The MLB is going to figure out a way to come up with the financial loss somehow, and we, the fans, will bite and will still participate. But I don't think you need to change the amount of games at all. You can keep it 162. Uh, number His second reason he has our second problem with this um, three-game series is he mentions that traveling with a three-game playoff is tricky. And here's his quote. If you give the top wildcard team the first two home games, you're setting up the deciding game three in the second team's home park, which just doesn't feel right. A 1-1-1 setup is clunky and requires a lot of travel. What if the wildcard teams are the Rays and the Mariners? That's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> he says 10,000 miles in flight in four days? I have a simple solution for this. Okay, that ended the quote. I am now talking. Brian's talking. Brian's quote. If you are the top seed in the wild card, you get all three games at home. I mean, that's not only is that a an extra reason to, okay, you've locked in the wild card. Now you want to lock in home field. It's the same thing. Now you want to lock in home field for all three games or possibly just two games if you win them. Again, I don't think it's a problem. His third issue. And again, I want to represent Dale rightfully, so he says the following. I'm quoting him again. Most importantly, and this is my main issue, Dale's main issue, it isn't fair to the higher-seeded teams. Creating what's basically a full round, higher-seeding meaning the better teams, I was get that confused. Creating what's basically a full round for the wild card, with being three games, complete with at least one intra-series off day and a gap day before the next round, it makes it likely that the wild card winner has a rested ace ready to start game one of the ALDS. Um, so what? I don't think this is a big deal. For someone trying to keep things simple, he's kind of overcomplicating items that the opposing side brings to the table. What is wrong with having two aces go against each other in the first game of the divisional series? Teams want to beat the best. Fans want to see great matchups. This thought is just, it's just a little obnoxious, if a thought could be obnoxious. Now, I actually like this idea more than expanding the amount of teams in the playoffs. If you gave me a choice, if you gave me a choice of making a three-game series or expanding to 12 teams, I'm going to take a three-game series for the wild card. It eliminates the gaps in travel and that type of thing because all three of them are going to be at the same stadium, back-to-back-to-back, and it kind of eliminates some of the issue in the problem that we just we just mentioned. Uh, so... That those are he he thinks they're viable. He thinks there's conversations going on with those two uh, MLB playoff solutions, but then he kind of shoots them down and making them 
more complicated than they really are, I think, just to give more credence to his simple solution later on that obviously I'm sure you guys understand reseeding, but he talks about it a little more, little more. And oftentimes when you have an argument, you kind of misrepresent the opposition to make your position look better. I'm not saying he's doing that intentionally at all. I just think sometimes when you believe in something so, so much, so heartedly, if I can use that word, you, you no longer are objective. And it's very difficult. And I'm not saying anybody does it correctly, but we should strive to be as objective as possible when we want to have these kind of discussions. So let's make sure we're all tracking together. Dale thinks that playoff expansion in a three-game world, um, world, a three-game wildcard series is solving a headache with brain surgery. Instead of just taking, you know, some Excedrin, he's saying that we're, we're attacking the brain when we've got a headache. He thinks that these reasonable solutions have too many moving pieces and that the solution can be, can be and should be much more simple. Maybe. The reason for the implementation of the second wild card was actually twofold. To make winning the division much more important due to avoiding the do-or-die game, and it gives one more team a chance to fight for a spot in the playoffs uh, so late season games remain relevant. But Dale feels that the wild card game is plan B, and no team ever starts the season chasing plan B. I mean, with life in general, we pursue plan A because it's, well, letter A, the first letter of the alphabet, the best grade in school, the cream of the crop. Here's Dale's position on why reseeding after the wild card is the best solution. And I quote, a wild card berth is plan B at the start of the season. So why are we trying to make the playoffs more fair for those wild card teams? Any tweaks made to the current format should continue to emphasize winning the division and especially finishing with the best record in the league. End quote. I think this is a great perspective, actually. You reward division winners, and then you reward the best division winners. The best team gets the worst team in the first round. Those are the matchups and other sports. Currently, there is a strong chance that the Red Sox, the best team in the AL, will never play the worst team, the Indians. Boston would, would go, um, they'd go through New York or Oakland, or the, when I say go through, not go to them, but they'd have to face them and beat them. And then more than likely, play Houston in the ALCS. Houston is going to beat Cleveland. That's everybody's prediction. The best team's path, okay, Boston in this case, the best team's path to the World Series should not go through the next two best teams without seeing the worst. I 100% agree with this. There was so, okay, so there's so much in this article that I would, I wouldn't be able to put all my thoughts together and I don't want this to be confusing. I want to kind of give you uh, my, my quick take on it. And it's hard to do that with so much information without misrepresenting somebody. So I want to get into more, but my producer is telling me I need to wrap this up. And by producer, I mean my dog because he's about to wet his fur. But here's my conclusion. I don't necessarily agree with how Dale slightly misrepresents unintentionally the expansion in three-game wildcard series ideas. I think there are some holes in his logic. However, I do think that reseeding after the wildcard game is the best solution right now if, okay, if the league feels it needs to reward divisional winners and make the playoffs more balanced as much as the baseball gods allow. I think expanding the teams to six per league is going to happen. We're going that direction. Too much money 
is involved. And hey, if it helps expand baseball's influence outside North America, I'm all for it. There have been way too many quick changes in the MLB. I remember when I talked about the pace of play. And I felt like a lot of these rules in the MLB rulebook are, there's little, you're patching your genes. And it just looks like this, you know, eventually those patches wear out, they get exposed, and, and it ends up looking like Swiss cheese. Uh, you can tell I need to go shopping and I'm hungry with the analogies that I'm making here. But, but change isn't easy. And should never, it should not be done, and it, sh- it shouldn't be done haphazardly. It should be done with a very strategic manner regarding how long it takes to, for it to be implemented. I think reseeding should be done in due time, but honestly, I don't know when. I do think it's a, it's, it's a step in the right direction. Dale concludes with the following statement. Baseball's postseason doesn't need reconstructive surgery. Just a simple nip and tuck. Sometimes the simplest change is the best one. What do you think? Surgery, Band-Aid, or take two pills and see me in the morning. All right, guys, I hope that was uh, informative for you guys. I enjoy doing the research. Let me know your thoughts on Twitter or any other social media place that I'm at. Uh, what I want to do is I want to share with you one clip where we're going to skip our uh, three strikes. Oh, I do want to uh, share with you one funny clip, and then I want to do a, a quick little uh, tribute to Hawk Harrelson, who is no longer uh, commentating or broadcasting games for the White Sox this past Sunday was his last game. So I want to end with a little audio montage, if you will. All right, take a listen to this clip, and then we'll and we'll get into that. This is this is funny. The crew chief is the cowboy Joe West, who's having, I hope, some fun with the camera crews here. Joe uh, does not like the lenses to extend over the fence there, and he's giving the camera people a very hard time as they try to bring you this baseball game. It's amazing. He can see a camera leaning an inch over the railing, but he misses strikes by six feet. Oh, I crack up every single time I hear that. Just Bob Brindley roasting Joe West. Anyway, um, Hulk Harrelson, you're going to be missed. I wasn't a White Sox fan. Uh, but I saw your highlights. I loved your quotes. You love the game. I love your passion. And we need more people like you up in the booth. Uh, this is for you. Look at the play by Burley. Mercy. Lillibridge makes the catch. What a play by Lillibridge. Mercy. Hits the ball. Hangs on to it. A beautiful play by Brett Lillibridge. Give us a couple of your thoughts. I'm going to give you one, and that's it. I love you all. <laughs> and I always will. That's just it. I'll go to my grave for that. Thank you.